Welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin, and I just want to say happy Mom's Day, and we're so glad you came to spend a part of it with us today. And as you know now, uh, the topic for Mother's Day is something most moms are interested in. What do happy families know? And so we're in the third week of this series, and what we've learned so far is that happy families know that in every relationship, because we're not just talking about family relationships or marriage or with your kids, we're talking about all relationships with people that you would count as close as family, even if you don't think you're in a family now, you're single, everybody's affected by family, and people have relationships that are close as family. So in every relationship, we all have this invisible box of hopes, dreams, and desires. And we carry these into relationship, and some of them we have when we go into the relationship, and others get developed as the relationship goes along. And what we've been talking about is in these relationships, we have these hopes, dreams, and desires, this box of desires of hopes, dreams, and desires which feel so light and so easy. And for me, when I take my box of hopes, dreams, and desires and I put them on you, they feel like expectations. They feel like responsibility. It sometimes feels like a bar I have to jump over before you love me. And Mom and Dad, we all have hopes and dreams and desires for our kids, but when I take my hopes, dreams, and desires and I place them on you, it, it feels weighty and it changes the relationship. And what happens in the relationship is the relationship becomes transactional because now you owe me. I, I want you to give me what I expect. I, I, you owe me this. And I know that you gave me life and I know that you pay for me and I know that, hey, we're in this relationship and hey, I stay at home and hey, I work all the time and hey, I do this for you and so you owe me. And when it becomes transactional, it, it, it really damages the relationship because in a relationship that's transactional, well, then everybody begins negotiating. Hey, we, we go to your parents every Christmas. Hey, we do this with your mom every uh, Thanksgiving. Hey, why do we always have to do what dad wants? How, why do we always have to do what they want? Why can't we ever do what I want? And in a relationship where it's transactional, it becomes this debt debtor thing, and we're always negotiating, we're always working, we're always trying to get our own way. And as you know, when it becomes a negotiation, then the best negotiator always wins. I had what I wanted to say, and I had all the facts, and I know that I'm right, and I know this is what we should do, but he's just so much better at it than I am, and he negotiates better than I am, and he always wins. And when somebody always wins in a relationship, you, you know what loses? The relationship loses. It becomes this negotiation thing where in relationships, I mean, it just it puts a damper on the whole thing and the relationship, which nobody wants. When I take my hopes, dreams, and desires, I put them on you and I expect you to fulfill them. It becomes a debt debtor thing. And now we're just negotiating. And when you always win, you lose in the relationship. Parents, when you always win with your 14-year-old and you win every argument with your 14-year-old, congratulations, you proved you were smarter than a 14-year-old and you lost influence, you won in the argument and you lost influence because you damaged the relationship. But the problem is, we all bring this stuff into it. We all have this invisible box of hopes, dreams, and desires that we carry around with us, and we bring it into every relationship, and we just can't help it. It's absolutely unavoidable. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about, what do I do with this? When I have these things, what, what do happy families do with these kind of things and my hopes, dreams, and desires? And we said the first week, what happy families know is that they know, hey, you don't owe me. I owe you everything. 
I don't expect you anything from you. We know that we owe each other everything, but we don't expect anything from each other. And the decision that I make is, you don't owe me. And then last week, in one of the best relational passages in all of the Bible, and I thought Jason just did an extraordinary message last week, he, he led us to this idea of it, what happy families know is that in happy families and happy relationships and happy friendships, everybody's rushing to the back of the line. Everybody has this uh, submission challenge of, hey, how can I help you? It's not how can I get you on my page, how can I manipulate you, how can I get my fulfilled, how my hopes, dreams, and desires get fulfilled, but how can I leverage who I am to serve you? How can I help you? Happy families know that in happy relationships, when you get into a tug of war in a relationship, you drop your end of the line and you go to the back of the line and you say, how can I best serve you? How can I help you? That's what happy families know. But that brings us to the place that we are of, we still have this invisible box of hopes, dreams, and desires. It's just unavoidable. So what do I do with them? I can't put them on you. I'm, I'm trying to help you in the situation, but I still have them, and some of them are right. What, what do I do with them? So today I want to show you how the Bible talks about that in a different passage, and this is going to come from another follower of Jesus, a guy named Peter, and Peter's one of the earliest followers of Jesus. He's one of the first men who runs to the empty tomb at Easter, and he sees that the tomb is empty, and he's trying to figure out what's happened. He's one of the guys that thought that he was so wrong about Jesus, but then he eats a meal with Jesus after the resurrection, and he knows that Jesus is alive. He's one of the guys that stands up in the same city where Jesus had been crucified and he says, hey, you killed him, God raised him, and now everybody ought to follow him. And he goes everywhere and he teaches that for the rest of his life. And eventually, in the city of Rome, probably under a guy named Nero, he's killed in, in a way very similar to the way Jesus was. Well, what I want to read to you today is from this guy, Peter, who's now trying to help a group of Christians who's... He's brought into this life of following Jesus. They believed what he believed, that Jesus was the Son of God. And he's trying to show them how to live out this life under extreme pressure. I mean, they're in a society where none of their hopes, dreams, and desires are getting fulfilled. In fact, their faith is, is producing more hardship for them. And he's going to tell them, what do you do with your hopes, dreams, and desires in that kind of situation? And what I want to say to you is, before I get into this and before we read what Peter has to say, what Peter has to say is is really helpful, but in the context it's in, it sounds a little weird when you first heard it because it's not the way that we normally think about things. And for some of you, it's going to sound a little impractical. And for some of you, it's going to sound a little too religious. And then when we get to the end and I begin to apply it, some of you aren't going to know what to do with it. Okay, so I just want to get all of that out front. And so what I want to ask you to do for the next few minutes is I want you to, if you could just suspend your skepticism for a minute. Wherever you are in that skepticism, I mean, again, after all, you don't, have to, you don't have to do this. I'm asking you to listen to it. I'm asking you to take what Peter had to say of what do you do in a situation where you have these things you wish were true, but they're not getting fulfilled. What do you do with this? And I'm asking you to consider what he has to say, and then you can decide whether you do it. And, and here's what I want to say to you. Most of you are at a place where you already realized all the other things you try to do with these hopes, dreams, and desires, they already don't work. In fact, they already make things better. What are you going to do with these hopes, dreams, and desires that you can't avoid having? What are you going to do with it? You're just going to try to ignore it? You can't ignore it. 
You're just going to try to pretend you don't actually have them. You're going to, you're going to walk around and you're going to pretend to the people in your relationship that you don't really want these kind of things. You're going to try to become a person where you just pretend and you put on the best front. And, because here's the thing, in a, in a relationship, when you start pretending in a relationship, you're just fronting with people all the time. Eventually people realize there's something weird about that. There's something wrong with that person. They're, they don't seem real all the time. And if you just give and give and give and give and you never acknowledge what's really in your heart and you don't have any place to deal with this because some of these things, they're right. They're good desires. They're good hopes. They're, they're good dreams. Some of them are God-given kind of dreams. What are you going to do with that? What are you gonna, how are you going to handle that? After all, most of the ways you've tried to handle them already, they've done more to damage your relationship than they haven't. What's, what's your other option? Pour more time into golf, run off and do something else, begin to flirt with somebody else, go take another job. And I've, I've known people in this church that I've known them long enough to know they, they have a different job every year. Every place they go, there's, there's another problem, another relationship. Every, every person has a problem in their dating life. They, they date the same person. What are you going to do? You're, just gonna, you're gonna continue down that path? So for the next few minutes, would you just consider what Peter has to say of what do you do with these hopes, dreams, and desires in your relationship when you, you can't put them on another person, but you can't make them go away. So what do I do with this stuff? Here's what Peter has to say. All of you, close your, yourself. That is, I want you to begin to put this on what I'm talking about like it becomes a characteristic of you. People see it in you. All of you, put on, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So Peter's saying, as a general characteristic of every relationship, all the relationships that we have with each other, your relationships should be characterized from your viewpoint with humility. That means in every single relationship, you decide, I'm going to be the one to go small. I'm the one that's going to make the decision. I'm going to go to the back of the line. I'm the one that's going to decide. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm going to do. He just picks up on what we've been talking about already. I'm going to go small. He's saying, what you need to be asking in every relationship is, what, what would a humble person do? In fact, that's such an important kind of question. I, I want us to just practice asking that question. What would a humble person do? In this circumstance, at this relational crossroads, what, what would a, a humble person do? And some of you are thinking, well, I'm not really humble. I know. That's not why it doesn't say, what would you do? It, you'll also know it doesn't say, what would I do? And even if you're not humble, you can sort of figure out what a humble person would do. So I'm asking you, would you begin to practice saying, what would a humble person do? And just to get you started on that, I just want us to say that out loud together. What would a, what would a humble person do? And I want you to say it with that kind of little attitude. So here we're going to go, what would a humble person do? All right, ready? Here we go. What would a humble person do? What would a humble person do? What would a humble person do? Okay, if I were humble, what would a humble person do? What would a humble person do in this circumstance? Now, the people who were cursed to be in my small group this year, uh, they'll tell you that this idea of humility, it, it got stuck in my mind earlier this year. And in almost every small group lesson for a while there, even no matter what we were supposed to be talking about or what was the lesson for that day, at some point I'd bring up this idea of humility and I'd begin to, I wanted us to try to talk about it because I was actually trying to figure out this. What would a humble person do? What, what, what would it look like to have humility? 
I mean, they, they heard it at every time. And what I've come to realize, and, and this is really deep, is if you start doing what a humble person does, you'll, you'll be humble. And, and some of you are thinking, because I had this discussion with people in my small group, you go, oh, no, no, no. No, humility, humility is not a do thing. Humility is a, an internal thing. It's not. It's, it's, it's not. See, what you're doing is you're, re you're reading your emotions. You're, you're reading your mind. And you're reading what's on the outside. And you think, even though I do things that everybody thinks is humble, because I know inside I'm arrogant and I'm thinking about myself, everybody can see that, and I'm still arrogant. But what I'm doing, it, it looks humble. Everybody else, they can't see that. They can't read your mind. All they can do is see what you're doing. And all of us know that actions speak louder than Oh, you know that. Actions speak louder than words. That, that's right. So if I start doing what a humble person would do, if I start asking, what would a humble person do? And I start doing what a humble person would do, I, I'm humble. And some of you are thinking, well, okay, uh, I'm already humble. Now, now you're just reading your thoughts. But all the rest of us, all we can see is your actions. And what we, I want to say for all of us is, no, you're not. You know, you're, you're really not. See, stopping every once in a while at every relational crossroads where you can feel these hopes, dreams, and desires beginning to get where you want to put them on somebody, at relational crossroads where you're beginning to wonder, what do I do in this situation? If you just stop for a minute and you ask, what would a humble person do? What, what would humility look like in this? If you just stop and say, okay, in this situation, I'm going to go small. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to leverage myself for somebody else's. What would it look like in this circumstance what would a humble person do in this place? Now, before you go and turn me off and you think, oh, I, I don't know, that's, I don't know, I don't even know what that looks like. Let me just finish with what Peter says in the rest of it. He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. Now, this hasn't been true of me for so long and none of you really knew me at this point, but Believe me, there was a time in my life where I didn't believe there was a God, and then I came to believe that there might be a God, but he wasn't really a personal God. He wasn't involved with us. And then because of all I wanted to do in my life is do what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do, and I didn't really care who got hurt in that, and I mostly wound up hurting myself. And some of the things got so out of control that somebody said, hey, you've got to turn your life and your will over to God. What I began to realize is the reason I didn't think there was a God and I didn't think there was a personal God is because I began stiff-arming God. My whole life I was stiff-arming God because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I, I was arrogant. And when I began to have to turn my life and my will over to God, a God that I didn't even believe, he, she, it, whatever, you know, I had to turn my life and my will over to this God as I understood it, and I dropped my arm, I began to experience this God that I didn't even know was there. When I began to drop my life and my will and I began to humble myself a little bit and submit myself, I began to experience God. That's because God opposes the proud. God stands back from the proud. God pulls away. He leans away from the proud. And before you get too judgmental of God and you say, well, hey, it's, we're, we're supposed to love everybody always. Doesn't God have to love everybody? Why would God pull back? from proud people. Don't they need him just as much? Of course they do. But before you get too much judgmental, hey, let's just be clear. You pull back from arrogant people even if you love them. I mean, you know you can't lean into a person who 
They're, they're entitled all the time. You know that you pull back to somebody who's always manipulating. You know when somebody's got to get their way all the time, they would do anything to get their way, and they don't care what it does to you. You pull back in that relationship, too, because you know to lean in, it, it's not going to do anybody any good. It says God opposes the proud, but then you'll notice the end of it is he shows favor or he shows grace. Grace is a better translation. He gives grace to those who are humble. God opposes the proud, but he shows grace or favor to the humble. Now, I think when we read that, particularly for people who've been around church a long time and, the, and we hear the word grace, we miss a part of what Peter is saying here because we don't get all of what he means by grace. See, in a place where we sing about grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me, and we talk about grace. We think of grace in this way of grace is what God had to do to make up for what I had done wrong. God is, is, is what God gives me to make me right with him. And, and that, is, that is true. So I can be in a relationship with God. I need God's grace. But that's this much of grace. It's such a tiny little part of grace. See, grace is God's power and God's strength, God's ability that God grants to people who lean into him, that God gives grace and strength to me to do what he's calling me to do in my life. Grace is God's power poured from him to me to carry out his life, the life he wants for me, to live for me. In this context that we're talking about, grace is what it takes for me in a relationship where my hopes, my dreams, and my desires, I don't know what to do with them, and yet... I say, what would a humble person do? And I go to the back of the line and I do, what's best for you? How can I leverage for me? How do I do that authentically? God gives me grace. God gives me strength to do that. God supernatural infuses the humble person, the person who says, I want to, I want to go small. God gives grace and power and the ability to do that even when your hopes, dreams, and desires aren't being met. God gives you grace to live the life that he's calling you to live. It's the invitation. When, a hum, when God sees humility, not pride, when God sees humility, he leans in and humility is God's invitation to come into your marriage. It's God's invitation to come into your work relationship. Humility is your invita God's invitation to come into your parenting relationship with your kid. When you go others first, when a family decides, hey, we're going to be in a submission competition, we're going to try to get to the back of the line, when I humble myself, not me first, but others first, it's God's invitation to do something extraordinary in his power in the midst of that relationship. And it matters so much to, Paul, to Peter, he, he says it a different way. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now, again, for some of us that got religious baggage, we hear under God's mighty hand, and what we hear is under God's thumb, and I don't want to be under anybody's thumb. And it's, again, somebody trying to push me down, but what it really means is I'm, I'm under God's protection. I'm under God's covering. I'm, I'm under God's hand. When God sees us, when I humble myself, I humble myself under God's protection. When I do what God's asking me to do, I'm under his care. And the reason that I'm under his care when I humble myself, God has a purpose to be under it. It's not just under his hand, but it brings me to the second part of this promise he gives. Peter says is we humble ourselves under God, under his mighty hand, so that in the right time he can, he can lift us up. I'm, I'm in God's hand. I'm under his protection. I'm in his hand. And so when I go small and I humble myself and my hopes, dreams, and desires, and I say, 
Hey, not me, but the other person. How can I be for them? What's best for them? How, how can I serve in this relationship? Me for my kids. Really me, not my expectations, but for them. I get under God's protection, and at the right time, he begins to lift me up. Now, you may hear that and think, I know that ought to sound cool to me, and I ought to want that, but I, I, don't, I don't really get that. I don't know what it means. See, I think in this context where Peter and, and everybody he knows is following Jesus is under oppression, this made perfect sense to him. But even in that context, he thinks to himself, I don't, I don't know if they're going to get it. I don't, I don't know if they're going to understand what I'm trying to get at. And so he tries to give them some handles of what they ought to do. And so I want you to hear this. He, I mean, here's Peter who spent time with Jesus and he said, what God's encouraging us to do under his protection in his hand is God is asking us to do what Jesus invited all of us as followers to do. He says, give all of your worries and cares. Take all of your frustration. Take all of those will my kids will ever will, will always, or my kids won't ever, or take all of that. I had hoped we would have this, or I had hoped my work would be like this, or I thought our friendship, or I thought we would always be like this. Take all of my hopes, my worries, my cares. Take all of those things and give them to God. In some, some translations it says take all of your cares and cast them. You just throw them at God. You take all of that and you hurl it at your God. He's saying, look, in your relationship, in your marriage, with your kids, in, in parenting, in family, in, in work relationships, in friendships, when everything is not going the way you want it to, instead of taking your hopes, dreams, desires and dumping them on somebody else and, and getting to the place where it feels transactional and then you're in a debt, debtor kind of thing, he said, look, ask yourself, what would a humble person do and you still have this stuff, so take all of that stuff, all of those things you feel, and throw them on God. Cast them on God. Give them to God. All of your anxieties, all of your cares, all your frustrations, all your worries, all your dreams, all your hopes, take them and give them to God. I always believe Peter's saying, take all of those things and set them on your heavenly Father. Give them all to him because he cares for you. Now, here's what I want to say about that. For a lot of you who are followers of Christ, you already know everything I just said, and you've heard that, and it doesn't make any difference for you. And so I, now we're at the point that I want to apply this. And I, because we miss this so much, and I mean we miss this, I miss this, we miss this so much, I'm going to press down a little bit. So don't tune out right now. I'm going to press down a little bit on this. Here's what I want to do. The reason this doesn't work for you, the reason you've heard this and it doesn't really make any differences in your life is because you got to stop praying these little polite prayers you're praying. you got to stop coming to God with these prayers like your mama's listening and you think, oh, that's not the way you talk to God, honey. you got to stop coming to God with things that really matter to you and talking to him like they don't really matter to you. You know, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today and thank you for all you give me and thank you for the blessings and God, here are these things that I'm really concerned about and I'm really worried about them and I don't know how they're ever going to come. So I just, I give them all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, is that kind of emotion the way you actually feel about those things? Because you walk around and you say, I gave it to God and then you say to all your Christian friends in a small group, but I guess I keep taking it back. 
I keep taking it back. I keep taking it back. You keep taking it back because you never really gave it to them. Because here's the truth. When you talk to your wife about your hopes, dreams, and expectations, you don't talk to her like, hey, here's these things I sort of, sort of want, and they sort of matter to me, and so I'm going to give them to you. Oh, man, no, you got expectations. You had hoped, you had dreamed. And when you stand and talk to your kids about, hey, I gave you life. You talk to your boss or you talk to your employees and you think about, hey, all, after all I've done to you, there's emotion in it and there's feeling in it. And he, here's where I think you start in this. You've got to start in talking to God about these things in the way you actually feel about these things. You have got to stop going to other people in one way about these hopes, dreams, and expectations and then talking to God like they don't really matter to you because you think somehow that's religious and polite and that's the way you talk to God. Here's where I think you start. You, you start with your posture. I mean, with this kind of stuff that you don't even know where they all came from, but you can feel it. You have it for your kid. You have it for your spouse. You have it in your work. You have it with your friends. Hopes, dreams, and desires, and they do cause you concern, and you do have emotion of them. You need to change your posture when you talk to God. For some of these that really matter to you, you, you need to get on your knees. You know why you need to get on your knees? Because your posture matters. And, and here, this is how smart I am. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna love this. So you might want to write this down. Your body's connected to your brain. Uh-huh. Ain't I smart? Your body and your brain are connected. And when your body does something, it sends a signal to your brain. And your brain sends, sends signals to your body. And when you kneel before God, it says to God, God, I don't know what else to do. I'm, sum I'm submitting to you. And things that really cause you concerns, I've laid flat on the floor before God. I don't know what to do with this. Maybe you need to just lift your arms up like a little kid and go, in. i, I got to have some help. I do not know what to do in my marriage. I do not know what to do with my kid. I do not know what to do in this situation at work. I don't know what to do with this person. God, I feel it so deeply, and I think some of it's right, but I can't put it on them. It becomes transactional, and that didn't give me what I wanted. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to do what a humble person would do, but I still have this. What do I do? You bring it to God. You change your posture. You stop praying these little polite prayers and you get dead level honest. Peter, here's all Peter's saying. Look, you're going to take all that energy somewhere. You should start by just throwing it at your Heavenly Father. Just give it to your Heavenly Father. Not to your spouse. Not to your kids. Not to your boss. No, you don't need to go in your kid's room and yell anymore. You don't need to stand in the kitchen and yell at your mom anymore. You don't need to be around people talking about other people behind their back and talking about it animated and then praying politely to God. You need to start with throwing it at your Heavenly Father. Now, if you're like, I don't, I don't think that sounds right. I, I want to show you in the Bible. The reason I know that is because this, that's the way it's talked about in the Bible. Now, these verses that I read to you where Peter says, cast your cares, if, if you're reading that in an actual copy of the Bible, not on the screen, you'd note that they're indented, and, and then they might have a number after them. They're footnoted, and the reason is because Peter didn't come up with that phrase. Peter's quoting a phrase from an older part of the Bible that all of his Jewish followers, they didn't know that part of the Bible, and he goes back to a different guy, and it's the context of that original cast all your cares that I wanted you to see, because in that, you'll see, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. 
That part of the Bible is written by a guy named David. And David is a shepherd when he was a young man, and then he becomes a warrior, he becomes a soldier, he becomes king, he becomes a poet, and he's emotional, this kind of guy. When you read the Psalms, which that's a book in the Bible, it's really sort of his, his journal. It, it's poems, songs he wrote, he sing to God, and he's so raw, and he's so emotional, he's so real. And these words that Peter talks about, they come from one of them. And I want you to see how he wrote them. This is just his prayer to God. Here's what David had to say. He says, if an enemy, not a friend, but if an enemy were insulted me, I could endure it. I mean, after all, that's what enemies do. If an enemy were rising up against me, I could hide from you, but it's you. I mean, you get it. When a, when a spouse does something and stabs you in the back, when a family member hurts you, when, when you're not, when it's somebody you counted on, it's, it's worse. But it's you, David says, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with one, whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. He's going, man, we prayed together. We served together. We went to church together. We sang songs together. I, I had hoped. I dreamed. Now, you want to hear honest as David talks about that guy? He says, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. You know what he's saying? Burn them, God. Burn them good. Do it, do it in a big way, God. I mean, I want this person destroyed. Now, can you say that to God? Well, a guy who's called a man after God's heart said it in the Bible. He goes on. As for me, I called to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening and morning and noon. Peter's just, I mean, Paul, David is just saying, Hey, at the times prescribed for prayer, every time I come to prayer, I just cry out to God. Evening and morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my thoughts. He hears my voice. David says, sometimes I'm so desperate, I can't pray about anything else. I just lift my hands, and I'm just telling God, burn them, destroy them, get rid of them. And as a result, he rescues me. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. And there, here it comes. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. He will never let the righteous be brought down. But you... God will bring you down. God will bring you down the wicked into the pit of decay, and the bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. There's a lot of things you can say about that prayer, but polite is not one of them. Not, oh, I was talking like I talked to my mama. No, that's not it. It's not polite, but you know what it is? It's honest. Have you ever prayed? I mean, honestly, have you ever prayed, God, rain down hell on my kid? I know you've tried to bring hell to your kid. But have you ever said, God, break his heart and see what he's doing to our family. God, break her heart so she can see how she's ruining our marriage. God, break her heart. Help her see it. And rain down hell and break them. Break them so they can come back. Look, if, you, if you've never been that honest with God, I'm just saying to you, friend, you... You never opened your heart up. You know what for sure that says? It's, it's because you're too proud. It's not humility. 
Humility is this, is, this is just who I am. This is who I am. And I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm done. And I don't have another place to turn. God, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. Now, I'll just say, if you grew up in a, in a family where that kind of talk wasn't allowed. And, you know, hey, you don't talk to your dad like that. It's going to be tough for you because you're thinking, oh, he's, he's my heavenly father, and I have a friend that's always like, I, I can't talk that way to God because he's supposed to be like my dad. But here's the best part. Unlike your dad, your heavenly father will never shut you down. He will never turn away from you. He invites you to unload. Hey, man, throw it at me. Hurl it at me. Cast it at me. Give it all to me. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. He says, just tell me all about it because I care for you. And if it matters to you, it matters to God. And God says, hey, you're going to take that energy somewhere. Why would you take these hopes, dreams, and expectations and dump them on somebody else and blow up that relationship? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. See, happy families know hopes, dreams, expectations, they're part of every relationship and they're unavoidable. So I look at the people in my world, in my relational world, and I say, hey, you don't owe me. I owe you everything. You don't owe me anything. And I create a submission competition where I want to leverage who I am for the people that I, I work with, that I, that I serve with, the people that I'm in family with. I want, to, I want to get to the back of the line and I ask myself regularly, what would a humble person do? And then when I still have this invisible box that I haven't put on anybody else, and some of them are right and some of them are good, I take this invisible box and I throw it at God. I give it to God because he cares. And God promises that he, in due time, has me in his hand and he will lift me up. That's what happy families know. And then there's one other thing. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. I hope you'll be back for that. And now, if you will, let's stand and I'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. You're like just the best parent. Thank you for your love for us. And help us to turn to you and be honest with you. Take this box of frustration and hope and dreams and things that we want and we give them to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great week.